0: We've had a full service already, but we always follow uh, the Word of God. God says, preach the Word, uh, very s- simple command, and that's what we we do in, in obedience to the Lord God. And today we're in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 through 19, a, a smallish section of Scripture, uh, but very, very important. So let me read the text, and then uh, we'll take some time to look at it together. It says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there, there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let's pray. Father, in your kindness, Open your word to us today. Thank you for this opportunity through Christ Jesus alone. Amen. So my title is Truth Matters uh, because I think uh, obviously the theme is the resurrection, and He's going to be developing that through the rest of the chapter. But starting out, I want to have two background points uh, today. First is oh goodness oh here we yeah, it worked goodness thanks two background points uh, to get us started. One is, what does God want from us? Earlier in our song service, we sang a song that's very, very familiar in Christian circles, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, And you probably, some of you know the story. It was written by a guy named named Horatio Spafford, I think, or something along that line. Uh, He wrote that song in response to a tragedy in his life, He put his family on a ship from Chicago to London and somewhere on that Atlantic trek, the ship sank and he lost his family. His wife was saved. She she, uh, telegraphs back, saved alone, lost the kids in in the sea. And then uh, at a subsequent occasion, after grieving a great deal, He had an opportunity to take the same line back to London. And uh, when they got to about the place where his kids died, can you imagine that? In the deep, horrible thought. I have have nine kids and 12 or 13 grandkids. You don't want to lose any child. But at that point, that's where he started composing this hymn. It is well with my soul he committed it to god what does god want from us and i think actually this is this sums it up right this is the this is the verse give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you what does god want this is will that we should be thankful people and we should be able to look at all things in the big picture allowing ourselves to grieve and to sorrow, but to work through grief to a positive expectation of god 's amazing work, and how is that a background point to this? Well, honestly, it hit me in the middle of the night last night that wow this was this was horribly disruptive in this church. This church was so disrupted, there were divisions there was a horrible immorality in the church, and then a lot of their worship services were just chaotic. Uh, You know, uh, like I said last week, apparently somebody legitimately asked Paul, "Is it does it seem okay for you if occasionally somebody stands up in the worship service and screams out, Jesus is accursed? You know, Paul says, no, that's not okay. You know, as, as if that would even be in the realm of possibility. He says, nobody by the Holy Spirit says that. Uh, and they had all kinds of commotion, et cetera. Lot of weird stuff. And then, then also, there's this caving in to the popular culture. The Greeks didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. And of course, there was a, even a, a real strong Jewish sect called the, the Sadducees, uh, who didn't believe in the resurrection of the body either. Maybe they had caved into the Greek philosophy as well. Uh, basically in a real thumbnail sketch, that philosophy is that, well, you know what? The whole problem with humanity is the body. The body is just bad. And if we could just get rid of this temporary dwelling, this this thing that holds me down, uh, then my spirit will soar and I will be united with all that is, and it'll be wonderful, because the body's the darndest thing. It, it always is dragging me down. And so when the Christian doctrine comes in, well, we're gonna, God's gonna raise the body, the Greeks go, what? No, this is a bad idea. Um, Christian doctrine is very different. But in that church, there were people who were saying there is no resurrection from the dead. Here's my point. It hit me. Well, you know what? That's a really good thing. It was very disruptive and horrible and painful. But because of that, we have this tremendous teaching on what the resurrection is. And so if we didn't have that problem, God the Holy Spirit wouldn't have inspired Paul to address it so thoroughly. Uh, and it's so important over over the, the millennia to have proper good doctrine. So the heresies, the bad teachings, the false teachings that came on, this is 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead maybe 24 maximum. There were a whole bunch of people still living who saw him rise from the dead, you know? So even just that soon, after Jesus, there were people that were just denying the reality of the resurrection. But I think it's a good thing because we have this tremendous teaching. And also, we have Paul's basic approach to answering the challenge. Uh, we have Paul's basic attitude toward the the bad doctrine. Um, Paul emphasizes the Scripture. When he wants to establish what is true, he doesn't go to popular opinion or even some tremendously worked-up theoretical framework. He goes to the statement of God. He kind of says, well, you know, what does God say? Uh, And even at the end of chapter 14, I pointed that out when we talked through there, Uh, He just had taught how they had to have control of their worship services and they had these really strict filters on what would happen in a worship service. And he he anticipates that people won't like it because they're used to the commotion and a lot of them liked standing up and saying whatever was on their mind at any moment in time. And so remember what he says in verse 36 of 14, or was it from you that the word of God came or are you the only Ones it has reached. Now, are you the source of the Word of God? Are you the one that defines the Word of God? No, it stands alone. It, the Word of God comes from God. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing are a command of the Lord. Paul the Apostle is speaking the Word of God through what we call inspiration Probably better said, the breathing out of God, the breath of God, the speech of God. And verse 38, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So Paul gets down to this real solid base and it's the, it's the the problems. Well, let's give thanks for the problems because they push Paul to define doctrine and to give us a methodology to do theology. How do we? How do we find out the truth? He says, "Study the Scripture. God has spoken, and it is it is objective. It's it's here. It's the word of God. And see, I see this all over. But right in our context, verse two of chapter fifteen, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe." in vain. So truth matters, the word of God is the the way that we discover what to believe. People are literally saying who is God? What's God like? God is there and he is not silent. Francis Schaeffer said that, a wonderful Christian philosopher who died in my lifetime. God is there and he is not silent. God has spoken. He's told us about himself. It's exciting and wonderful and pulsating and available. So, why is this significant? Why is this significant? This is just still a background point. Well, first of all, truth matters, and it is outside of you. These people saying, hey, there is no resurrection, they're going against God's word when they say that. It's outside of you. It's, it's something you bump into. It's the word of God. It's not dependent upon you. You're dependent upon it. It might be called a brute fact. It, it is the word of God. It's outside of you. Truth, and it ultimately matters. I say this with all due respect because it's actually, I don't think it will offend any of you, but It's a very, very potent uh, uh, illustration of this. Uh, Just in in late May, we have some friends in San Jose, and uh, the father of the family is probably four or five years my senior. And his younger brother was like the uh, ultimate California bachelor adventurer, outdoorsman. He spent a good deal of his money and vacation time hiking the Sierras. Uh, he'd go out for weeks at a time. And for years, he'd applied for the the, the golden ticket uh, to get a uh, permit to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And uh, what happened was, he was out there and... They, another hiker came along and found him dead. Just the end of May, a f- few weeks ago. He was about sixty yards from his pack. His pack had all the provisions you could want, all the water, et cetera. He's super well prepared. But he set down that pack and decided to explore. We, I, I, this is all speculation. What we know is he was dead from heat. Exposure. He started down in Mexico. I mean, it's right on the Mexico border. It goes from Mexico to Canada. This awesome trail, which I'll just go on record. I'm never going to hike this trail. (laughs) I've been on parts of it, you know, (laughs) like the uh, six hour version of it. (laughs) This is, it's about almost 2,700 miles long. Um, And the tragedy is, as you think about this, I I don't know the, the guy's name exactly. We can call him Bob. You know, think about him straying away from the 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 point, the pack. That was his whole life source, right? And you know, uh, probably he goes away. He's 10, 15 minutes away from it, and, he, and he's totally completely in control of everything, right? He knows exactly where his pack is. Uh, maybe he even stayed within you know line of sight. The problem with that trail down there, I've never been on it, but I understand that it's not very well used. So the trail is not very well defined. And, in fact, one rock looks like another rock. So, honestly, you just kind of think through that. He w- At what point, at what point did he cross the line of no return, you know? At some point, you, you figure maybe 30 minutes into this, he starts to think, man, I, gotta, I should, where is my path? He starts, you know, circling around back, can't find it, uh, and he's lost, and and we don't even know when he died but they found him 4 4 days after his death at what point when when you leave the 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 security of god's truth do you get in trouble and paul is saying you you guys are walking away from the the most important lifeline here truth matters this isn't just some sort of subjective thing like Well, I don't care what you believe or not. I actually had one lady who attended here a long time. She got increasingly unhappy with the ministry here. She literally told me, you know what? It doesn't matter to me what anybody believes. I nearly fell over backwards. Like, you've been a part of this church like "Mm, decades and that's what you believe? You know, I'm sorry. That's unbiblical. The Bible says it matters life and death eternally what you believe. And and this is no passing little matter here. So that's why this this whole thing is significant. You cannot deny parts of the Bible and affirm others at your pleasure. You know, I, I don't mean this insulting, but just can I ask you, who do you think you are? You're going to be the judge of God's word? you're going to say well that part's embarrassing <laughs> this part's difficult how can it be wrong when it feels so right you know god forbid that's american culture you know we have pop stars dying of drug overdoses in bathtubs and they're singing songs the greatest love of all is happening to me Learning to love myself—that's that's that's Satan singing. That's not the greatest love. The greatest love is to love God. Isn't that so exciting? What does God ask of us? Love me. <laughs> what an awesome God! You know, come to know me, trust me, and love me. Amen. And you just cannot tell God who He is. He is fully capable of revealing himself. The Bible is coherent. See, there's, Paul's attacking, attacking incoherence here. He's saying, you guys, you can't, you, you know, this is ridiculous. Some of you are actually believing there is no resurrection of the dead, but you're still sort of trying to say, yeah, but I believe Jesus came back to life. And Paul's saying, no way. That's, that can't be um, coherent. I kept. I struggled for this word. I said, what, "What's here? What is this?" And I came up with this word, "coherent." And here's the Merriam-Webster online definition of it, real quickly. Uh, you're getting. You know, this is the value-added part of the sermon, <laughs> Merriam-Webster. But l- listen to this. This is Paul. This is what he's saying about holy scripture, about the revelation of God. It sticks together. It's coherent. It makes sense. It's beautiful and logical, and actually, it is aesthetic as well. There's a gorgeousness to the revelation of this being who created everything, you know? So here's, here's the quick definition. This is what I mean by coherent. Logically or aesthetically ordered or integrated. Consistent, like a coherent style or a coherent argument. And then definition 1B, having clarity or intelligibility. It's understandable. See, we don't ask you to check your brain at the door and pick up your color crayons and doodle on a piece of paper. That's not what God asks you. God says, what? Love me with all your mind. You want to mind a project? (laughs) Imagine. The infinite being of ultimate power and beautiful creativity above all that we can think or imagine. Glorious, gorgeous. Understanding like a coherent person or a coherent passage. The number two definition. Having the quality of holding together or cohering, especially cohesive, coordinated or like a coherent plan for action. It's not like they got on their horse and rode off in all directions, right? (laughs) They know where they're going. Uh, The Bible is linear and it makes sense. Number three, I like this because this is applied to uh, physical waves relating to or composed of waves having a constant difference in phase. For example, like coherent light, or definition B there, producing coherent light, a coherent source. It's reliable. The Bible doesn't come and say, well, one day it's true, one day it's false. It's there like a beautiful drumbeat of, of glorious truth. Okay, that's why it matters. This is scripture on scripture. I'm giving you the shorthand here. You might want to write down the references. Um, The scripture is coherent. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Then Psalm 119, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Here's Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And notice salvation's dependent on whether he's telling the truth or not. Is he telling the truth that your sins are forgiven? Is he really powerful enough to back that up? Yes, he's telling the truth. And here's a, this is a cool little testimony from the Apostle Paul in Acts twenty four fourteen. He's on trial by these angry Jews who are saying you're teaching some kind of ridiculous sect. And he's. this is just a part of it, right? Verse 14 here. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. See, Paul's not saying, I've become the editor of the word of God. No. I believe it all. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 24. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, To believe all that the prophets have spoken. Here's a. uh, This may be all I get to today, uh, and that's fine. I want to give you a quote by Wayne Grudem. Recommend his systematic theology. He says this: "It is better to say that the whole purpose of Scripture is to say everything it does say on whatever subject. Every one of God's words in Scripture." was deemed by him to be important for us. Thus, God issues severe warnings to anyone who would take away even one word from what he has said to us. And the references here, Deuteronomy 4.2, Deuteronomy 12.32, and then, of course, the end of the book of Revelation. We cannot add to God's words or take from them, for all are part of his larger purpose in speaking to us. Everything stated in Scripture is there because God intended it to be there. God does not say anything unintentionally. So that's Wayne Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. So as Paul would come into towns, you see, he would emphasize the resurrection of Jesus, and there were people just a few years after him who were saying it didn't happen. I'm going to give you the uh, thumbnail sketch of the rest of the sermon. Uh, Some said there was no resurrection. Resurrection defined is the body that was dead is brought back to life. We'll work on this more throughout the chapter. And all the effects of sin and curse are removed forever. That's Christian resurrection. It's not reincarnation. You know, yeah, I probably sort of deserve to come back as a rat, but that's not what Christianity says. I'm saved by the grace of God, and this body will be raised, and all of the effects of sin and curse on this body will be removed, which may include a full head of hair, I'm pretty sure, or all men may be bald. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to see. <laughs> um, This body, I'm not going to be recycled into various other bodies. No, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. And then finally, it is not that the person lives on in our hearts. That's not Christian teaching either. That is uh, not what the Bible teaches. If Christ was not raised, and these are just the points in this scripture, as I said, I'm going to give you shorthand to respect the clock today. Uh, then, Then the apostolic teaching is empty, and our faith is empty. If if Jesus didn't come back to life, Paul's attitude is just, just give up on everything I'm teaching because there's nothing there. Our, our faith is based on the reality that Jesus was dead and he came back to life. Uh, the apostles are misrepresenting God. The actual word here is to be a false witness. You know, the word for witness is like, we get our word martyr from from it. They are the ultimate witness for the truth. They die for the truth. They're a martyr. That's the Greek word for witness. This is a pseudo martyr. He's saying we're false witnesses of God. And that is a major problem. They're saying God raised Christ, and if there is no resurrection, then they're lying about God. He says we're misrepresenting God. This is the ultimate for us. Then we're still in our sins. If Christ didn't come back to life, there is no redemption. The price has not been paid. And we ourselves are eternally responsible for our sins. And then those who have died before us have gone, are gone forever. Pause for a second. We don't want to be so hurried here that we miss all of this. Some of you will never be back here because you're traveling through and we're so glad you're here today. But think about that, this argument from the text of Scripture. Uh, let me read it again. It says, verse 18, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. See, he, he doesn't have this idea that when we die, uh, we, we, our spirit leaves. He teaches that. He says he wants to die and depart to be with God. So, so then you're, you're, you're not in a body at that, that transitional period of time. But ultimately, the logic behind verse 18 is that to be a human is to be in a body. We're we're all created, 100% created. What is immaterial, our spirit, soul, whatever you want to call it, and our body, they're all created substance by God. And the body is not the thing that's of the earth, must be left behind, this old anchor, this, this piece of dirt. No, it will be raised and all the effects of of sin will be taken away from it. And you and I will be recognizable. Now, you know, can you imagine me with a big toupee? Uh, <laughs> I know you from somewhere. <laughs> um, we will be recognizable. The Bible teaches that. So, again, the logic is to be a human being is to be in a body, ultimately. There's this weird transitional period that we don't fully understand between death and death. And resurrection, uh, we don't know exactly what's going on there. Uh, but ultimately, we need a body. And then finally, we're just plain foolish. If, if Jesus Christ didn't come back to life, then Christianity is stupid. You know, why bother? You, you just shut it down. Please, you know, don't come anymore. Don't give any money. Uh, don't, don't build a huge, massive cathedral that, that denies the foundation of our faith because you'll be like Bob on the Pacific Crest Trail. You, you wandered away from the source of your life. And without that pack, you will perish. Without the resurrection of Christ, it is the pusto, the point upon which all of our theology is based. So let's just turn this around real quick. Good news, He is risen. risen, Hallelujah, He's He's risen. Amen. So our faith is not empty. The apostles can be trusted. Our sins are forgiven. He's risen. Our loved ones in Christ, we will see again. And we are not just plain foolish. We'll be fools for Christ. But ultimately, we are not to be pitied above all, as the text says. Father, in your kindness, teach us to know you, to love you, and to love knowing you, and to obey you above all, Lord God. And to, to Lord God, please, some of us are, have wandered dangerously away from the source of life, your truth, your revelation, the reality of the resurrection. Would you please help them to repent, to turn? and come back and find the pack and and embrace it and and take the, the water of life which will lead to everlasting life. And Lord, all of us want to stay close to the pack. We love You. Amen.